Hey guys, quick note before this podcast, musketeerreport.com is currently offering 50% off in honor of Xavier's win over Cincinnati in the Crosstown Shootout. So if you sign up for an annual VIP membership right now, you will get 50% off. That's less than $5 per month. There's no better time to join the best community of XU fans online than right now. It also makes a great Christmas gift for an XU fan. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome into the Musketeer Report podcast. It is Monday afternoon, December 11th, 2023, and Xavier has won the Crosstown Shootout for the fifth straight year, 84-79 to 79 on Saturday night at the Cintas Center. They've won six of the last seven Crosstown Shootouts. They have won 10 straight at the Cintas Center. It was behind a spectacular performance from Quincy Oliveri scored 27 points in the game. Davion McKnight added 20. Abu Usman added 10. Desmond Claude had 11. Quincy Oliveri and Davion McKnight combined to go 17 of 17 from the free throw line, which was one of the most notable stats from the game. The other one was that Xavier as a team shot 8 of 17 from three, and six of those eight came from Quincy Oliveri, who made all six of his field goals from beyond the arc. Rick, this was a game that Xavier really controlled for most of it. UC made a couple of runs in the second half, did take a lead, but UC's biggest lead was three. From tip to finish, this was really Xavier's game outside of those couple of stretches. Um, it was a rocking environment at Cintas when Quincy hit that three in transition uh, in the second half to really spark Xavier's run. That, to me, was the loudest that building had been coming off a heat check three since maybe J.P. McCura's three against Villanova back in 2016. I mean, th it was a crazy atmosphere at Cintas, and it felt like a lot of that pent-up energy was finally able to be released on Saturday night. And there was some nervous energy, I know, going into the game. Um, I do want to give a, a quick shout out. I, I saw on Musketeer Report that uh, I guess some people were talking about the show from uh, from Bearcat Journal. So I guess I should thank everybody for the extra downloads and listens from last week. And uh, look, going into this show now and, and recapping the, what happened on Saturday night, we talked last week about how desperately Xavier needed this win. And they got it. And yet again, you know, we, we predicted a, a Xavier loss. And, and this is what I will say. On the preview show going into this game, you and I both picked Cincinnati. Go ahead. You're going to say something. I, I'm just, Paul, don't do this. You can't be, you can't be a content guy and be a backtracker on your takes. You know, you no, 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 by I, what you said publicly. I'm, I, I'm just telling I, you, don't I'm do not. it. Okay. No, 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 All I'm right. not. No, let okay. me, let me finish right. my thought. Right. Let me Go finish ahead. my Go thought. Ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. On the preview show, we both picked Cincinnati to win this game. And I think, you know, going into the game, there was no reason really to have picked Xavier with the way that Xavier had played in the three games leading up to it. There was no reason to believe that this was Xavier's game to win. Right. But after Friday's practice, I looked at you, I looked at Adam, I looked at Shelby and we were sitting there in the media room before practice. And then you couldn't stay for Friday's practice, but I, I was texting you afterwards. And there was no doubt in my mind after Xavier's practice that Xavier was at least prepared for the game. And I felt confident after Friday's practice, I texting Adam, I said, Xavier's winning tomorrow because for the first time it felt like in the practices that I had seen leading up to the game and, and really over the last few weeks, something clicked on Friday and it was apparent. 
it was obvious. I, I thought it was one of Lazar's best practices of the of the season leading up to the game. And it just felt like there was a, a light bulb that turned on. Uh, and it made me think, okay, Xavier is in a good spot tomorrow. Now, whether they respond with that energy and whether they come out and actually show it, we'll see. But I felt a whole lot better going home from Cintas on Friday night than I did at any point leading up, especially coming off that loss against Delaware. Rick, you were not at the game, but you have certainly watched the game. You've broken it down. We've done the recaps and everything else. You did the spaces after the game on Saturday. Um, There is a lot to get to from this one, but I want your initial thoughts and and your initial reaction to it. Well, uh, first of all, just really impressive from a mental standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, all of the things that you thought this team was lacking. I mean, when we heard... Quincy Oliveri after the Delaware game and he was asked you know what's the message from coach Miller and he's like that we're a leaderless team I think a lot of people are looking at a fifth-year guy saying that and being like well uh, can't can't you be that guy like you've got as much experience as anybody why are you out here telling us there's no leader why don't you go be that guy it's probably a, a pretty natural reaction when you hear that and to his credit I mean he stood up there he said it and then more impressively he walked the walk afterwards. I mean, leading up to this week, you talked about the players-only meeting that they had. Uh, I know Sean talked about that a little bit in, in the post game, and the players did in the post game. And I'm a big believer in those those player-only meetings. I'd say about eight, 70 to 80% of them are worthless and usually make each make teammates look at other teammates as cornballs and guys who are do-gooders and rah-rah, like tryhards. I don't think it usually goes over very well. And for whatever reason, this one did. It worked. And I think the the biggest reason that it worked is because Quincy Oliveri, I get the sense he was probably the biggest talker out of the group. Just being around these guys a little bit, hearing them speak, he seems to be the one that's the most charismatic, the one who talks the most in general. I have to imagine he had a pretty loud voice in this meeting. And that's great. But it means nothing if you go out and you struggle or you can't guard your man or you're not locked in and making free throws down the the stretch and being clutch at the free throw line. He did all of those things. And he was good in the Delaware game, too. He had had the, the 34 points or whatever it was in the Delaware game. And then he comes back and he is awesome in the Crosstown shootout truly makes his mark on that game. Uh, uh, One of the best individual performances that we've seen in the Crosstown shootout. And it was like not just that he put up a big point total but that he made big shot after big shot when it felt like the momentum was starting to shift or when it felt like, hey, if Xavier can get another one here, this is, they'll really be in a good spot. Well, Quincy was there to give him that shot and put him in that good spot. And it's just like, from a Xavier fan perspective, I can't imagine a more enjoyable game to watch than this Crosstown shootout. Not because it was unexpected that you were going to win. I mean, that that's certainly part of it. And and not just because it was a close game, but there were moments throughout this game where it's like you get you get the tie up early between Abu and Aziz. And it's not like it's no it's no fights or anything that's that's like taken away from the game. It's just perfect shootout moments where you're going, yes, this is the crosstown shootout. These guys are here to battle. This is going to be great. You know, there was a few moments between like Gitas and Victor Lockin that people called out. There was the the Sasha Shawnee and one in the first half, and then the Sasha picking Jizzle James, reaching around, doing the cookies steal there in the second half. A lot of fun moments if you were a Xavier fan. So I think that was just my biggest takeaway is how enjoyable of a game this had to be for Xavier fans to watch. Well, and the biggest question leading up to the game was, are these new players going to understand what happens in this game? Are they going to understand the impact of it? 
And right away, less than two minutes into the game, Abu Usman gets into a jump ball with Aziz Bandego and doesn't let the ball go, rips the ball out of his hands even after the, long after the whistle is blown, and then immediately gives him the, you know, let's hear more to the to the student section and to the crowds around around the bench. Immediately at that point, I think you could tell everybody got it. And that was the point to me where I thought, okay, now going forward, you d- you got to go out there and execute, but they understand what they're getting themselves into here. Yeah, definitely. And I thought another, like the most impressive part of the game to me was we get into the early portion of the second half and Xavier gets off to a slow start. And then like right before the 16 minute media timeout, UC had been on that, I think it was a 12 to two run and they had taken the lead. And at that point of the game, I didn't think Xavier was like in, in big trouble or anything just because of the flow. It felt like they had been playing pretty well. And even during that stretch, it wasn't like Xavier completely crumbled or anything. It was just, you know, they had some turnovers, certainly. And then defensively, UC had started to make a few shots that Xavier wasn't able to, to get stops on the defensive end. But it, it wasn't like a disaster like it was against Oakland, for instance, where there was a, a one-on-one matchup that they couldn't contain or, or anything like that. Um, but even still, at that moment, I'm thinking... Ah, this is for this team. They've been so good all game and they've had that lead. If they don't have the lead though, are they going to be able to stay with it? Like, are they going to be able to keep making shots? Are they going to lose the confidence? Like we saw late in the Delaware game. And Sean talked about that after the Delaware game. And and even after this one, and I thought he put it perfectly where it, it wasn't that he felt like the team quit late in the Delaware game. It was that they lost their confidence. They lost their belief that they were the better team. And that's so perfectly said. Because that's what I saw against Oakland and Delaware. And I probably didn't say it well, but I kept saying the most concerning part to me was that I didn't know if there was a solution. It didn't look like Xavier was the better team in those games. And everyone looks at those scores and says, well, that's inexcusable. Xavier's the better team. They should just go out in there and win it. And it didn't feel like that was possible in the end of the Oakland game and the end of the Delaware game. They didn't look like the better, more capable team. And I think Sean said it perfectly. They had lost the belief in themselves. They had lost the confidence. And for whatever reason, they were able to get that back in the Crosstown shootout. And, um, you know, you can talk about this probably even better than I can because you did the podcast with Sean after the game. But he mentioned in there that he felt he and his staff did a better job of giving Davion McKnight the confidence from them, saying, we're confident in you, you are our guy. And part of that was letting him play through mistakes, not having a short of a leash, not giving Trey Green as much playing time. It's easy to do that when he's playing so well in the Crosstown shootout, but I just thought that was, it was just really good insights to what was going on in the few days leading up to this Crosstown shootout. Yeah, he talked about the meetings that they had, whether it was the players-only meetings or whether the player-coach coach coach meetings that he had as as he phrased it and he said look there's a couple of things with what's happening right now the players want to lead but they also have to have the permissions from the coaching staff to lead you have to be able to go out there and, and back up what you're doing with your play on the court or whether whatever it is that we are looking for you to do and that's where Quincy and Davion and those guys that leadership group as he called them on the podcast that's where those guys stepped up in this game. And and to your point about Davion from Saturday night, playing through those mistakes, not having such a, a quick, uh, you know, a, a quick trigger to take them out. If there's a mistake or a shot or whatever it might be. And the other thing too was, Hey, if you take the open three, we can live with it. Step into that three, have confidence. Don't feel like if you're going to miss a three, because there might be other better 
three-point shooters on the court don't feel like just because you take a three and miss it, we're immediately going to take you out. Because if you have that feeling as a player, that wears on you, that psyche that, hey, I don't know if I want to take this open shot because if I take it and I miss, I'm going to come off the court. Your point guard can't be thinking like that. And so for him to have the freedom and flexibility to know I can step into a three and hit it. And for all of the threes that Quincy hit, Davion hits a three right toward the last minute of the game, about 90 seconds left, hits a three that really was a separator and a huge shot at that time from the wing. Yeah, Paul, that's such a really good point about having not only having confidence in yourself, but also having the confidence that this is the right shot for me to take, like expecting to come off a screen or if you see a defender to go under expecting to get that shot. It's a really important thing. And it really plays with a, a player's psyche where, you know, if, if you're trying to play a clean game, you're trying to not make mistakes as the point guard and make good decisions. And you're also probably through those first several games, you're being told by the coaching staff that a lot of what you're doing is not right. You know, you're screwing things up. You're yep. getting pulled out of the game. A freshman's going in. So I, I think there's no doubt that the confidence was shaken in these guys leading up to this game. But then not only do you tell them, hey, you are our guy. We want you to shoot that open three. But the other thing that they had the advantage of in this game against Cincinnati is you had film to show them. You could say, look, here's how they're going to guard you, Davion. They're not going to gap you and have extra help defenders waiting for you in the mid-range. They are going to let you get off clean looks one-on-one. If you can get a step on your man, you're going to get a good look in the mid-range. That's where you excel. Look at look at what you did so well at Western Kentucky. Look at what you've done well for us already. These are your spots and your shots, and these are the exact type of shots you're going to get against the UC defense. Going into a game and ha- knowing that's the, the scouting report, knowing that's the game plan from your coaching staff saying, they want me to take these shots against UC, and not only do they want me to, but I'm going to get a lot of good looks against UC. I think that really played into the game that Davion McKnight had on Saturday because you could just tell he came out very aggressive and it was a, it was a different look for him on the offensive end. And how about 17 of 17 from the free throw line between Davion and Quincy? I mean, to step up in that spot and that performance, especially coming down the stretch to go up to the free throw line and have the confidence to be able to do that time in and time out on Saturday night, it sealed the game. It was unbelievable. And, you know, you think about a uh, Sule boom last year and how good he was in those moments about closing games out. And you haven't had to really call on anyone this year to do that for you. If you're Xavier, they just haven't had those situations come up. Well, in this game, you were able to find a couple of guys to lean on and they had that killer instinct at the free throw line to put the game away. That was super impressive. And maybe even more so than the free throws was the lack of turnovers. I mean, granted, they did get tied up with under a minute to play. And fortunately, they had the possession error, so they didn't end up losing it in the backcourt when UC was pressing. But that was really the only mishandling of the ball or miscue that they had on the offensive end down the stretch. I think their last actual turnover came with like over seven minutes to go in the game. When you think about the way this game was played, both teams going up tempo, Xavier scoring 84 points, and the fact that UC is a pressurized defense that makes it hard to run that flow offense – Xavier was so mature with the ball and their decision-making was so good. And and again, a lot of that I would put back on the coaching staff, having them ready through the scout and the game plan, the video and saying, you have to be aggressive 
with the way you see is going to guard you. You can't be worried about getting rid of the ball or backing out and trying to survey. You have to go by your man and score one-on-one. I thought Desmond was really good when he had his opportunities. John Newman did a great job defensively against Desmond and really held him in check, but Desmond was still aggressive when he tried to attack, and Quincy and Davion were outstanding. From the Cincinnati side, going down the box score on their end, Jizzle James really was the standout for the Bearcats. 19 points and a lot of those coming in the first half to really spark Cincinnati and keep a minute, to be quite honest, early on in the game. 19 points is what Jizzle finished with. Victor Locken only had two points in the first half. He finished with 17, uh, just over his average at about 15 or so. Um but Victor Lockett, I mean, one for seven from three. He finished eight for 17 overall from the field. Uh, 0 for two from the free throw line. Day-Day Thomas had 15. John Newman finished with 18. Um, but the main point that I want to make here, instead of just reading off stats, <laughs> for as much as we talked about Aziz Bandego coming into this game, he had a lob dunk in the first 90 seconds or so finished with three points and 10 rebounds, fouled four times. He was pretty much a non-factor in this game, Rick. Yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong. He makes a difference out there defensively and on the glass. I mean, he did have 10 rebounds, and he definitely impacted some shots, especially late in the game on the defensive end. And you're much better off being able to play a C-Spandego than you are Odio Guama. We saw that. I mean, Odio Guama had no business playing in this game. So he is an upgrade for UC, and he has made them better. But given all of the hoopla surrounding him and how important UC felt like it was to get him eligible and for them to be a few games into this and now already be on to the, well, who we really needed eligible was Jameel Reynolds. That's the guy we're really missing. He would really make this team good. Um, One, it's kind of funny to see them move on that quickly. But two, they might not be wrong. Like Assis just hasn't been a big difference maker. And part of that is because he's not an offensive minded player. I mean, he's not a guy you can throw it to on the offensive end and play through him. He's not going to score with his back to the basket. He's not a guy that sees the floor and is going to make other players better. So you're really just relying on his athleticism to kind of be a bailout option for you on drives or possessions where you're not getting a lot out of it. You try to just lob it up there and, and get him a tip in or a, a tip dunk at the rim or something like that. That's really his only value on the offensive end right now. And I think their staff is going to have to find better ways to get him more involved or yeah, I'm not just, I'm not sure if he's going to make enough of an impact in the big 12. Otherwise down the box score, Dan Skillings finished with two points, made just one shot. That, that's the biggest one to me. And I, I rightfully so I saw people making fun of me for my take on Dan Skillings. I thought he was potentially their best player. And still might be. I think he, they need him to be because without him being a go-to scoring option for them, I don't think they have enough firepower on the offensive end. And uh, they weren't bad offensively in this game. Don't get me wrong. They they were fine. They averaged over a point per possession. Xavier just took it to them on their end of the floor when Xavier was on offense. So that was really the difference in this game is how good Xavier was on the offensive end and how much they were able to beat UC's defense. But even still, I think Dan Skilling's being... I was just not ready to play in this game at all. He didn't look like he was confident. He made some terrible decisions. He had some ugly looking shots. If they can't rely on him in big road games this year, that's going to be really difficult for them. So I thought that was a huge, huge talking point from this game is is how he was basically a zero for them off of the bench. 
Looking at the three-point shooting for Cincinnati, finished 5 of 23 overall. C.J. Frederick was 0 for 3. You look at some of the three-point shooters down the line, blocking, like I said, 1 for 7. Dede Thomas, 1 for 2. John Newman, 1 for 2. Jizzle James was 2 for 3. Seamus Lukosius, 0 for 4. Was this more scheme, or was it more just it was an off night for UC? Well, UC is going to say we always shoot terribly at the Cintas Center, and I, I think at some point you have to start asking questions about why that is and if you're getting good shots against Xavier. And I think, you know, their offense was fine. It's not like they got bad shots the entire game. But from a three-point shooting standpoint, yes, Victor Locken was making some threes early this year. He was also shooting them standstill trailer position top of the key with no one around him, right? Like Xavier knows on the scouting report, hey, Victor Locken is shooting well. He's shooting like 40 or 50% from three on the year so far. So don't give him wide open trailer threes. Don't give him pick and pop looks. And then at that point, it was like Victor got a little frustrated and started settling for threes. He goes one for seven from beyond the arc. That's your center going one for seven. Now it's great that he's made some throughout the year, but did you really think that was the way that you were going to win big games this year if you were a Cincinnati fan is Victor Locken shooting you to victory from three-point range, that's never been a recipe for success in the past. So him going one for seven, that's a game plan issue. That's a coaching issue. That's a player who's supposed to be your best player making bad decisions issue. That's not a, we didn't shoot well at the Centos Center thing. I mean, you take away Victor Locken's one for seven, it's like, well, okay, then they just didn't shoot that many threes and it was a fine number in terms of percentage. I, I like the, the, the thing that they can gripe about is that CJ Frederick was 0 for four in this game. He is a legitimately good shooter from the outside. Now, he's been feast or famine so far this season for them. He's either been really good or he's basically done nothing in, in different games, and this was one of the games where he did nothing. But that is a legitimate gripe. He's a good shooter that that didn't get shots to go down. The rest of the team, it's like, you know, if your center is going to shoot seven threes, you're going to have to live with those results. That's just not smart basketball. I think uh, when you look back at this performance overall, and Quincy Oliveri talked after the game about how much this game meant to him because UC recruited him exceptionally hard, and uh, he didn't have anything bad to say. That's not to say that he wanted to win this game because he chose to go to Xavier over UC. He had glowing remarks for Cincinnati and their coaching staff and and uh, how they treated him throughout the portal, but he just ended up deciding to come to Xavier. But on the flip side, looking at the post game and Wes Miller, you know, Wes did acknowledge the schedule in the post game press conference and the fact that this was the hardest game that Cincinnati had played this year. And, you know, you wonder, you, you look at the talent on Cincinnati's roster and they certainly have the talent to win a game like this. I mean, this is not a game that, you know, if you played this a hundred times, it's not like Xavier's going to go, win 95 of these games like last year if you look at the talent discrepancy on a neutral floor between Xavier and Cincinnati Xavier's winning the vast majority of that game right I mean Xavier was the 13th ranked team in the country when they played last year and uh that was just it's just how they how the team stacked up this year's team much more even in fact if anything like we talked about last week we would have probably given maybe the talent edge to Cincinnati heading into the game difference was that the coaching style and everything that matched up in Xavier's favor for the shootout. In fact, it was at home, played out that way. Xavier played much better on Saturday night. But to go back to my point about the schedule, it, it was pretty clear to anybody watching this game that Cincinnati was not ready for what happened on Saturday at all. 
That's exactly right. And it's malpractice. Quite honestly, now, you can make the argument that they tried to have a soft schedule because they knew they might not have Aziz Bandago and Jamil Reynolds eligible early in the season, that it might take some time to get those waivers through. And maybe that's the reason is you're hoping you're not going to lose games without those guys. And then once you get them going, maybe you'll be up to speed and playing better basketball at that point. Maybe that's what Wes was thinking when he made this schedule. But even still, it feels like malpractice, quite honestly. I mean, you're in a situation now where you lost the Xavier game and not only are you in a must-win situation against Dayton next week in terms of your at-large resume, but, it, I mean, look at what you've got to do now in the Big 12 because of your lack of non-conference wins. And I'm not saying that you needed to play murderer's row and every team needed to be top 50, but, I mean, mix in a couple top 100s maybe? Like, just something of relevance there to, to go with the Xavier and Dayton games because uh, right now, Paul, given the fact that they have now lost this Xavier game, and granted, it's a road game, and... Xavier hopefully will continue playing better. So it, ultimately it won't hurt them too badly. I don't think that they, they lost that game on the road, but uh, their resume is just non-existent right now. And I can't imagine that they're a team that's going to be too far above that 500 mark in conference play in the big 12. Wes Miller is now one in 16 in quad one games, but he's lost 16 straight since he won the first quad one game that he coached at, uh, at Cincinnati, I should say. They won the Illinois game just a few games into his first season, and they've lost 16 straight quad one games since then. There are two sides to that coin. One is that acknowledging what the talent level has been on the Cincinnati roster and what he has taken over over the last couple of years. But at some point, when you have 17 opportunities, at some point, Rick, don't you have to find a way to win at least a couple it becomes concerning at this point. Like like you said, you've got to lay out and acknowledge that there is a rebuild taking place here. He had yeah. circumstances that he was dealing with. That's definitely part of this. And it's understandable to have lost some of those tough games that they have lost. But you've been in some I, of these I'm not games. Say, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying you go 14 and 3. I'm yeah. saying maybe like 3 or 4 or 5 maybe. Well, and at some point, you've been in enough of them that they've come down to the final possessions aren't you expected to win one or two? Like, aren't you expected to have one of those games go your way just because that's how sports work? At, a, at some point, you do start to get concerned as a fan of like, hey, we're not winning any of these big games. Or we're not winning any of the ones that come down to the final possessions. Is there something wrong with what we're doing in tight games? Xavier had to look at that very hard a couple years ago. Quite honestly, they were in a very yeah. similar situation. And I'm not saying that's where UC is at yet. But it does become a concern at this point. And Paul, just when you think about the way this game played out, I mean, if you're going up against Xavier, having watched the Oakland game, having watched the Delaware game, what would be your game plan? I mean, are you not going to relentlessly attack Xavier's front court? Now, you can say Xavier's front court played better. I think they did. But did you think that UC really had like a great game plan of how they're going to attack those guys and try to exploit them? Or did it feel like UC was kind of just playing the same way they always play and letting Victor Locken shoot threes from the top of the key and go one for seven? That's kind of how it felt for me. It felt like Xavier had a very focused, singular game plan on how they wanted to attack UC. And that involved giving Davion McKnight a lot of confidence to get in the mid-range and take his shots, knowing that he was going to get some open looks and giving him confidence to shoot from three. Understanding that it was going to be Quincy Davion and Desmond and making sure they were on the court for more minutes together than they've been on the court together all season long. I think Xavier really knew their plan of attack and it goes obviously beyond those surface level things that I just listed there. But Xavier really had a game plan and knew how UC was going to play them and had a game plan that was specific to that. You see it felt like kind of was just like 
to, to steal the Xavier phrase, we're going to do what we do and just be better than Xavier in this game. And look, I'm not buying into any of the like, Xavier cares about this game more. UC needs to start. I know like the whole fan base of, of Cincinnati now is like, we need to start caring about this game and treating it as importantly as Xavier does. Let me tell you something. If, if you talk to anyone that's inside the programs, do you think Mick Cronin wasn't absolutely losing his mind in the days leading up to the Crosstown shootout? I know what he said publicly, but that game ate at him. He was going nuts on his team, maybe even too tight. And you heard Wes Miller say after this game in his post-game press conferences, we might have wanted that game too much. It's not an issue of them not caring about the game. It's not an issue of them not wanting it enough. It's an issue of them not finding ways to win it. Maybe that's poor coaching. Maybe it's not. I think we'll find more about that as we go along the rest of the season with this Cincinnati team. But at some point, you just have to acknowledge that you're not winning the game because you're not winning the game. And it has nothing to do with how much you want it or not. Looking at the fan reaction after the game and, and of course, <laughs> the, the dialogue back and forth between everybody on both sides, I, I thought it was kind of interesting looking at the Cincinnati reaction to the game. And it felt like for the first time, at least that I can remember, maybe it was because there was an expectation of a win on Saturday that didn't happen. Or maybe it was the expectation of a win and then to come out and have such a letdown performance like that. But it felt like there was some acceptance at, at the level that, hey, this is five in a row. This is six of seven. This is nine of 11. This is 20 of the last 28. That some at some point, you're going to have to try and flip this around. And look, Cincinnati now going into the Big 12, they're not limited, as a, a lot of people would say, by the American anymore. You're, you're playing in one of, if not the best conferences in the country. And now... You, you get the game back home next year, but to talk about, you know, this being Wes Miller's shot at the, the crosstown shootout, especially at Cintas. Now you look at next year and let's assume that Zach Fremantle and Jerome Hunter come back next year. Whatever you do in the, in the transfer portal, you probably pick up a shooter since this is Quincy Oliveri's only year eligible at Xavier, but Davion McKnight will be back. He's already played in this game. You, you bring back, uh, pretty much everybody else from this roster plus oh by the way two all big east caliber players next year i know it goes back to cincinnati but you're talking about a a potentially loaded xavier roster next year and i i don't think that's exaggerating point blank paul is this the worst team that sean miller will have in his career at xavier yes yes it is i mean it's it's almost impossible to imagine he will be in a worse situation roster wise than this. That's not to say that UC isn't getting better too. It's not to say that Wes Miller hasn't done a good job acquiring some talent recruiting. Jizzle James looks like he's going to be fantastic. He looked I cannot, really good in the first half, especially he didn't play as much in the second yeah. half as day day. Thomas played well. Um, but first half he was, but you phenomenal. have some, you, you have something there in, in Jizzle James, you know, you're wondering how much does a freshman contribute? He played really, really well. Yeah. Now, is, is it concerning that Rayvon Griffith is going to redshirt because he can't get on the court and they have guys in front of him that are supposedly so much better? Yeah, that would be a little bit concerning about his future. But I mean, it's still a long road for a guy with a high upside um, that, you know, overall, I think Wes has done a good job recruiting. And, and by the way, on the Jizzle James thing, I cannot wait to see what the next chapter of the Jizzle James Trey Green saga is just because I mean, those guys were paired up from a recruiting standpoint, being that Cincinnati basically passed on Trey Green as they were hoping to get 
uh, Isaiah Collier, or they said they passed on him at least. That uh, moral of the story is both schools recruited him. He ended up going to Xavier, and then UC ended up with Jizzle James instead. Both highly recruited point guards, both really talented players that that were impressive prospects. First round goes to Jizzle James, no doubt about that. He was great in the first half of this one. And on the other side, Davion McKnight was really good for Xavier. So Trey Green didn't get as many minutes as he normally did. And when he was in there, he wasn't able to defend Jizzle James. So they couldn't keep him on the floor. So obviously, round one goes to Jizzle. What happens next between these two guys? Because both of them have been fun to watch so far in their early careers. And I think both of them are going to be really good college players. And I don't think we've heard the last about those two going at it in the Crosstown shootout. But just to wrap up the the thought on, you know, Wes Miller and, and sort of the future of this game, I, I do think Wes Miller is going to continue to get better talent at Cincinnati. And it's not that he'll never win a Crosstown shootout. But in terms of winning at Xavier, where there clearly is a massive mental hurdle for the entire UC fan base and program and everyone involved in this game now, it's hard to imagine that they're going to have a better opportunity than this year. This Xavier team was as ripe for the picking as it gets, and they couldn't find a way to get it done. And quite honestly, like they didn't even really give a good run at it. They only had a lead for, what was it, like uh, uh, two minutes in this game, I think it was? Not even a one, minute, one minute, one, one minute, 58 seconds. Yeah. A minute 58. I'm, I'm looking at the box score now. So that, I mean, that kind of, to me, it's like, I expected more out of this UC team. I expected more out of that performance. Quite honestly, it'd be really disheartening from the UC standpoint. Uh, but from the Xavier side of things in a year where it's been tough to swallow so far, man, this just gives you a lot of energy back in that battery pack to keep you going for a little bit longer, I think, in terms of hope and enjoyment of the program right now. Here's what I will tell you. I wouldn't pick against the St. X JV team at Cintas Center anymore. I, I'm never making that mistake again. I thought that if this was going to be the year that Cincinnati got it done, it would been would have been this year. But since they didn't, until I'm proved otherwise, it doesn't matter what Xavier trots out there in two years. Um, it, it, it's just this building for it's, it's a house of horrors for Cincinnati and they just can't get over that hump. And until they do, it's saviors to, to be wrestled away with. Um, I want to look forward now for Xavier, uh, and, and what this game means to Xavier, just looking at the metrics right now, Xavier sits at 45th on Ken Palm after this game. They moved up seven spots from 52 in the net as of Monday morning. They're up three spots from 70 to 67. St. Mary's did pick up a nice win over Colorado State the other night. Washington beat Gonzaga. Not that that really means a whole lot for Xavier because they lost to Washington. But just kind of looking down the, the ratings here um, of the net. Right now, Cincinnati is a quad one win for Xavier. We'll see if that sticks the rest of the season. But right now, it's a quad one win for Xavier. Um, but I'm curious, Rick, your thoughts on where this Cincinnati game could potentially propel Xavier. Now, with a week off, you play Winthrop, then you start Biggie's play. So I think as a Xavier fan, you're hoping for one of two things the rest of the way. The first is the ideal option, and that's this team finds a way to give this type of effort consistently at some point. And I don't think that's right away. I don't think this game just completely flipped a switch for this team. And now they're good. There's no more confidence issues. There's no more uh, issues defensively with their toughness inside or any of those things. 
I think those things are going to come back and there are going to be teams that exploit it better and there are going to be teams that they match up with worse and those problems will persist throughout the course of the year. It'll be a game-by-game basis. It'll be a a matchup-dictated thing, but I don't think those problems are necessarily over. As a fan, I think you're hoping that they'll continue to improve and at some point it will be much more like that much more like Saturday's team consistently than they've been and, and way less or maybe no more performances like they had against Oakland and Delaware. That's what you really hope for. The second thing, and maybe the more realistic thing to hope for if you're a Xavier fan is they save performances like the Cincinnati game for the middling teams in the big East that they have the best opportunity to beat. Because quite honestly, I don't know that if they play like that, they're good enough to beat Creighton. I don't know they're good enough to beat Marquette. I don't know they're good enough to beat UConn. But I think that performance absolutely wins against St. John's, Providence, Seton Hall, DePaul, Butler, any of those teams. Like Xavier feels like they are, to me at least, right in the middle of the Big East right now. Like out of the 11 teams, I would probably put them right at sixth and put those teams on either side of them. And it's a, a pretty clear, you know, I think like Marquette, Creighton, obviously up at the top and, and uh, who am I forgetting with that? Villanova? Villanova would have a half step behind. Oh, yeah. Easy. Yeah. Um, I, I would put them ahead of, of, of Xavier, though. I'm forgetting a Big East team here. Uh, I said Marquette, Creighton. Oh, UConn. UConn, of course. Um, oh. So UConn, Marquette, Creighton at the top, I think are have kind of separated themselves. I think Villanova is a half step above. They're, they're below those three teams, but they're a half step above like Xavier, Providence, and St. John's, who I would put just next. A, it's kind of like Xavier. You just don't know what you're going to get from Villanova. Yeah, they've been inconsistent, but I do think ultimately, like if you put them up against Xavier, you put them up against Providence, Yeah, you feel like Villanova is clearly the better team. After yep. that, I don't feel that way about any of the other teams that Xavier will play in the Big East this year. I feel like you know Providence, Butler, St. John's, Seton Hall, all of those teams are pretty similar to Xavier, and then Georgetown and DePaul are clearly worse, in my opinion. So yep. that's that's kind of how I see it right now. So I guess, again, going back to the original point that I was making with all that before I got into trying to break down all the Big East teams and not remembering that the national champions existed. Uh, well, you had mentioned them like 10 <laughs> seconds earlier. I, I figured you were I, already counting them. I did. I just, I just drew a blank there for a second. But I, I think that the thing is, is, again, I don't know that you can beat UConn, Marquette, Creighton, maybe even Villanova with that UC performance, but I know you can beat the rest of the teams in the conference. So worst case scenario as a Xavier fan, I think you're just hoping they play those types of games against the teams that they have the better chance to beat, if nothing else. All right. So now Xavier, they have a week off. It's finals this week. So no, no, uh, no game until Saturday. Winthrop at home. That's the Skip Prosser Classic. That's at 730 on Saturday night. That's on FS1. And then right around the corner, it's Big East play at next Wednesday. Rick, do you feel like there's anything? I'm kind of going through my notes here, going through the checklist. There's not much uh, that I see here. I, we've hit on everything I wanted to talk about. Is there anything that we've left off on your end? Uh, I don't think so. Maybe we could talk just briefly about the young guys in this game because, you know, Trey Green oh, yes. plays four minutes. Um, you have Lazar Djokovic plays 19 minutes, gets the start in this game. He only has two points and a rebound and four turnovers, so it wasn't the best showing for him. And then Dalen Swain played 12 minutes. I think saw his role cut back a little bit, uh, but did pretty well defensively, I thought, in this game. He ended up with four points on one of two shooting. And then Sasha Shawnee was really the best of the young guys, I think. He had his seven points, six rebounds, four assists, 
played 16 minutes and and the two moments we mentioned where he had that tough and one in the first half that was like a hilarious leading bank shot and then the the cookies in the second half where he picked Jizzle James pocket and then tried to do it again on the very next possession, which was laugh out loud funny. Just absolutely. Again, this game was so enjoyable to watch because there were just moments throughout that made me laugh. Uh, it was it was a great game. W- what were your thoughts on the young guys, Paul? And and where are you kind of add on the rotation for those? Do you see them kind of getting less minutes as we go forward the way things are shaping up? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because Lazar, I, I just scrolled down. Yeah, Lazar is uh my one note on these guys was Lazar and the fact that he got a start first career start. And even though maybe he didn't fill up the box score statistically, I thought he played Adam and I were just talking about this before I came back here to record. I thought he played a lot tougher in this game uh, than he had at, at any point up until this point. And I think that again, goes back to what I said at the beginning of the show coming off of Friday's practice, which I thought was a very good practice for him and translating that into Saturday, uh, I don't know where Lazar goes from here as far as the production level, but at least he showed something more than he had showed up until that point. I think to what you're saying, the rotation is tightening. Um, I think looking at Trey Green um, didn't play well defensively on Saturday night and only saw four minutes because of it. And now you're looking at Sasha, you're looking at Lazar, some of these younger guys are starting you're 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 trying to find that role who fits where and being able to play Sasha in this game at such a high level and him responding to that and answering that call and having a a good i would say above average night for him would be something that I'd take a lot of positivity out if I'm a Xavier fan looking forward yeah we we've said it multiple times but the improvement of Sasha since he arrived on campus has been the most impressive out of anybody on the team, really, because he was a guy that looked like a complete project and someone that I didn't think could get on the floor at all this year, like the first few days that he was on campus. And he's just continued to grow rapidly since then, both in his understanding of what's being asked of them and in general, just the way he's moving, the way he's finishing around the basket. All of those things have improved so much as he started to settle in. So I think that's a big positive. And like you said, I mean, Lazar did not really play well in this game, especially if you're looking at his his box score. He had very minimal impact. Uh, really, the, the impact was negative when you factor in the four turnovers that he had. But you're right. There's there's like a he's starting to play with a base to him. It, it felt like every time he was getting in early in the year, it was like he was just flying around out there. He's kind of playing on his tippy toes and getting pushed around and running out of plays. And he ends up on the baseline a lot out of the play and stuff like that. And it felt like in this UC game again, he wasn't great, but he was more in the mix. He was more sturdy. He wasn't getting pushed around constantly. He was in there battling for some rebounds, even if he wasn't getting them. We'll see where it goes from here, but he's so talented and I think it will click at some point this year. I don't know you know, how many minutes he'll continue to play. They're going to need him to play a certain role in the front court, definitely on this team. And he has the upside to be one of the team's better scorers on the offensive end. I don't know that that will happen this year, but I do think at some point it'll start to click and you'll start to see those games where he gives you 10 or 12 points. And um, that that's something to look forward to as a Xavier fan this year because I think once it starts to click for Lazar, it's going to go rapidly from there. He's going to get a lot better really fast. All right, Rick, any other news notes nuggets to close out the show? I don't think so. I mean, it's just hard to believe that we're sitting here talking about another 
crosstown shootout win for Xavier in the Centaur Center. 22 years now, Paul, 22 years straight. All the presidents, the different coaches, the different athletic directors that have been involved with this. I mean, to think that the crosstown shootout at Xavier has now turned into the Dayton game at Xavier where you're going decades without one side winning on the road. Uh, just, it's hard to believe. I, re- I really cannot believe that we're in this situation being my knowledge and history with the shootout, watching this game so closely since I was a little kid. It, it, it's really hard to believe that we're here. What, what a performance by Xavier. Xavier's batteries were all charged up. They were ready to go on Saturday night. No doubt about it. (laughs) How was, did you get hit by any loose batteries while you were down there doing your PA duties? No, no batteries came flying my way. Uh, Nothing made it onto the court. Yeah, it was a safe and sound environment on Saturday night. That's good to hear. I hope, I hope everybody in the stands was safe as well. (laughs) Well, I hope the media members were all tucked in. Everybody was good. Uh, Honest, honestly, I, I, I guess just to, to close it out, like Sean talked about it uh, in the podcast, he talked about it in the press conferences. He always does when it's an environment like that. It's just so fun being at a game like that and, and being such a small part of that atmosphere and to have uh, to have a game go that way and end the way it did. It was a very fun night and it was a night that you think back to the last few years of this game and the Crosstown shootout and Xavier was an underdog in the COVID year where there were no fans in the stands and Xavier won at UC. But last year, Xavier was an overwhelming favorite in that game. I'm not talking about betting spreads. I'm just talking about looking at at the roster compilation. The last four or five years, really, it's been a a clear Xavier edge in this game. Xavier won by 20 the last time it was at Cintas. The The time before that, in 2019, it was a pretty convincing victory the final score wasn't totally indicative of of Xavier's edge in that game so this game to me at least where I felt like a lot of the pressure was on Cincinnati to win this game and West Miller to win this game by my math West Miller is now the only the second coach uh at Cincinnati to start 0-3 in his career against Xavier so to have this game end in Xavier's way, the sense I got from social media and from reading reaction online, it might not be the best win as far as talent goes over Cincinnati, but this win on Saturday, it might be the most satisfying win for Xavier fans over Cincinnati of recent memory. I think that's a good way to say it. That's all I got. Paul. So, all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Musketeer Report podcast. Rick and I will be back next week, and it'll be a preview of Big East play right around the corner. Conference action starting up on December 20th, but one game to go before that, Winthrop, on Saturday night at Cintas. We'll see you all then. And until next time, this has been the Musketeer Report podcast.